Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the precious gift it is to have your word. And Lord, we thank you that you've also given us your Holy Spirit by which we can understand the things that are recounted here. Lord, because we recognize that they would be foolishness to us if it were not for your Holy Spirit. So Lord, we pray that you would be with me, strengthen me by your Holy Spirit, and we pray that you would strengthen the people here this morning by your Holy Spirit. Open their eyes to see the wonderful things contained in your word. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we've been working our way through the book of Ruth. Uh, We've looked at the first two chapters so far, and we've seen that Ruth and Naomi are introduced to us, and they're introduced in the first chapter as people who are in quite dire straits. We see that their family is broken up by the fact that uh, Naomi's husband passes away and then her two children pass away as well. And then they move back to a land that was in famine, but then is experiencing a great harvest. And so Ruth and Naomi come back to the land of Israel. And last week we saw that God provides by his grace for Ruth, that He puts Boaz into her life and she is allowed to reap in his field without hindrance and actually gains extra uh, benefits by reaping in his field that he is quite favourable toward her. And now we come to Ruth chapter 3. Ruth chapter 3, which is found on page 260 of the Black Church Bibles and I encourage you to have it open before you now as we look at it together. Ruth chapter 3, where we see Ruth and Naomi... So Ruth, the daughter-in-law of Naomi, looking to improve their situation even further. Things have come a long way. They are stable. They've got food to eat. But things are a little up in the air still. And so they are seeking to improve their situation even further. And Naomi begins the chapter by talking to Ruth and advising her that they should improve matters even further. And we see that in verse 1 of Ruth chapter 3. Ruth chapter 3, verse 1, we read, One day Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not try to find a home for you where you will be well provided for? They're thinking, okay, things are going okay, but it should be that there would be a permanent place for you, a place where you can be well provided for in the future. And they know of Boaz's kindness in the past. He was very prominent in chapter 2. They know that Boaz was good to them and allowed Ruth to work in his field. And so now they think that Boaz might be able to do more for them, and particularly for Ruth. And so Naomi speaks to Ruth and encourages her to look to Boaz even further. Verse 2 of Ruth chapter 3 we read, this is Naomi still speaking to Ruth, Is not Boaz, with whose servant girls you have been, a kinsman of ours? Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash and perfume yourself and put on your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor. But don't let him know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying, then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. Naomi comes up with a plan as to how they can get Boaz to be even more favourable to them, and particularly how we can get Boaz to marry you, Ruth, is what Naomi's plan is. And so Ruth makes preparations. 
We've seen she's a very industrious girl. Last week particularly, we saw that she's a hard worker. She goes out into the field in the morning, is there till night, till evening, uh, working hard. And so she makes preparations, which is a good idea. If you're pre- wanting to ask someone for something, uh, particularly something quite significant, it's good to make some preparations. You don't just... Uh, play it by ear or wing it, uh, you should make preparations as you go to someone to ask them for something very important, particularly if you're making a marriage proposal, which is what Ruth is planning on doing. And so how does she prepare herself? Well, we see in verse 5 that she says, I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. She is agrees there to do whatever Naomi says. And so in verse 6 we read, So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. So she makes these preparations to go and speak to Boaz about him taking her as his bride. And one of the things that... Uh, and there's a few things that she does in preparation, which uh, Naomi had told her to do. First was that she should wash herself. She should put on perfume and that she should dress herself. Uh, we see that in verse 3, wash and perfume yourself and put on your best clothes. Three things that she needs to do there. Now, it may seem a bit odd uh, to be commanded to wash and perfume and put on your best clothes. Don't girls generally do that uh, most of the time? Well, you've got to remember that Ruth is probably still in mourning clothes. And when you're mourning for your husband... It's often shown in the the Bible, particularly the mourning habits of the Israelites, was that they didn't wash themselves, and they often dirtied themselves by putting ashes on their heads in the immediate stage of mourning, and they didn't perfume themselves, they didn't make themselves presentable, and they had mourning clothes, they'd wear black to signify that they were mourning for someone. And so this may be the end of Ruth's mourning stage, that Naomi has said to her, it's time to stop morning for my son who died and now you're going to wash yourself you're going to put on perfume you're going to put on your best clothes and you're going to go to Boaz and so she makes those preparations to do so so this may be the first encounter of any male to her outside of before she was uh and that she's eligible before when she was engaged to her previous husband, that everybody up to this stage has been seeing her her as a mourning uh, widow, and so she's not been available. So Boaz may actually be the first one to get to see her in uh, non-mourning clothes, so to speak. So she prepares herself, and she prepares an appropriate time to go. She's willing to listen to Naomi and goes to Boaz at an appropriate time. When is that? Well, we read in verse 7 when she goes to him. It says in verse 7, When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. And then Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. She doesn't just go straight away to Boaz. She waits for an opportune time. And when is the best time to approach a male? Well, in this case at least, it's when he's had something to eat, he's had something to drink, and is in good spirits. My wife recognises this. She pretty much does not speak to me about anything, pretty much anything, let alone a request, first thing in the morning. She knows until I've had something to eat, something to drink, and I've had about an hour to wake up properly, it's not worth, unless it's a really important thing, speaking to me because she'll just get a grunt and I probably won't be interested in much of what she says. 
So she waits till later in the day, an opportune time, to ask me about things that are important to her. And that's what Ruth is doing here as well. She's waiting for Boaz to be in good spirits, and she will then go to him and ask him to marry her. And then we see that she also is very humble in the way that she approaches Boaz with this marriage proposal. And humility is always a good thing if you're asking for something important to show yourself that you are humble. And we see that she humbly goes and lies at his feet. Uh, We see that in verse 7, that when Boaz finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet and lay down. She lies down at his feet. Now, we in our culture don't think too much of feet, um, although... I once did think a lot about feet as a podiatrist, but uh, we don't think too much about feet. But in this culture, feet are seen to be quite dirty, and to lie at somebody's feet is a real gesture of humility. If you clasp someone's feet, if you bow at their feet, it is a real gesture of humility. And she goes to his feet at this point, and then we see later on in the text, uh, she actually returns to lying at his feet after she has her conversation with him. So he's there lying at Uh, She's there lying at his feet and then he gets startled and she continues to show humility to him. We read in verse 8, In the middle of the night something startled the man and he turned and discovered a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? he asked. I am your servant Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a kinsman redeemer. She comes to him and asks him humbly, for him to spread his garment over her. Now, the NIV translation there uh, is not as literal as it could be. Basically, she's saying, spread your wing over me. Spread your wing, and the NIV is translated as garment. Um, And that is the same word that's actually used in Ruth chapter 2 when Boaz actually talks about God and his relationship with Ruth. If you just turn with me back to Ruth chapter 2, verse 12... Ruth chapter 2, verse 12, Boaz is speaking and he's talking to Ruth and he says to Ruth, may the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings, same Hebrew word, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. So Ruth is coming and she's asking for Boaz to do something that he has said God is doing for her already. He's asking, she's asking him to put his wing over her, which is a gesture of humility. If, I, if Jill said, oh, come under my wings, Joel, some of you might think it's not that appropriate when you think of, oh, who's the one that's providing? Or my son Joshua, you can come under my wing, Daddy. Now, if you come under somebody's wing, we associate it with humility. If you're the person going under the wing, then you need to be provided for. You're not as capable as the person who is putting you under their wing. And so she humbly asks for his wing, and then she humbly mentions that he is a kinsman redeemer to her. She says this in verse 9, he asks, who are you? And I am your servant Ruth, she says, spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a kinsman redeemer. She is not saying you have to marry me, But she's pointing Boaz to a part in the law, humbly pointing in a sort of uh, roundabout way, that Boaz has a responsibility in some way to marry her. Now, what is is she talking about when she speaks about kinsmen redeemers? Well, she's actually talking about a law in the Old Testament from Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 25. 
Turn with me there now, Deuteronomy 25, which is found on page 195 of the Black Church Bibles, page 195, where we see this law given by Moses about kinsmen redeemers that applies to Ruth's situation with Boaz. Deuteronomy chapter 25, page 195, 195 of the Church Bibles, and we'll read verses 5 and 6. Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse, uh, chapter 25, verse 5. If brothers are living together and one of them dies without a son, his widow must not marry outside the family. Her husband's brother shall take her and marry her and fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law to her. The first son she bears shall carry on the name of the dead brother, so that his name will not be blotted out from Israel. See what the law is saying? If someone marries somebody and they die, the, the groom dies, husband dies, and there is no heir, then somebody else in the family must marry the widow and provide an heir for that dead relative. And so that's what Ruth is actually saying here when she says, you are my kinsman redeemer, please marry me, is what she's saying. Since you are a kinsman redeemer, put your wing over me. Now, this could have ended really badly. Got to remember, she's come to Boaz in the middle of the night. Nobody else is around. And there's quite a risk for Ruth in doing this. We understand at the beginning of Ruth that this is the time of the judges. If you've ever read the book of Judges, you know that it was a notorious time in Israel. Everybody was doing what was fit in their own eyes, pretty much. And Boaz could be someone who would take advantage of Ruth in this situation. He could just get very angry and send her away, or he could even take advantage of the fact that here he is in the dark of night with this woman where nobody else can see. But he doesn't. In fact, Boaz is delighted. Turn back with me, if you're still in Deuteronomy, to Ruth chapter 2, page 260. uh, Ruth chapter 3, I should say. Ruth chapter 3, page 260, and we see that Boaz is delighted. In verse 10 we read, The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the young men, whether rich or poor. He is delighted that she's come, and he says that she's actually being kind in coming and seeing him in this way and making a marriage proposal. He's already recognised her kindness to Naomi in the past, that this daughter-in-law who had no obligation to come back to a foreign land with her mother-in-law, that she came back and was working hard to provide for herself and for Naomi. And now she is also seeking to provide an heir for her dead husband by coming to Boaz, that she's doing a noble thing, that she's trying to follow the law of God when so many other people in the time of Judges are not seeking to follow the law of God. And so Boaz recognises this kindness, and it's almost, I think, he, he sees it as a kind thing that she's come to him. What does he say in verse 10? You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. Which must tell us something about Boaz, that he's an older man, and he probably thought, I can care for Ruth, but she wouldn't be interested in someone like me. But here she comes and shows an interest in him, and he says... This is a kind thing that you're doing in showing interest in an older man like myself and that you're not running after other young men, whether rich or poor. 
And then Boaz shows a willingness to help her out. We read in verse 11, And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All my fellow townsmen know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am near of kin, there is a kinsman redeemer nearer than I. Stay here for the night, and in the morning, if he wants to redeem, good. Let him redeem. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. Here he says... It's okay, I'm going to try. I know, it's interesting that he already knows that there's someone nearer than him, whether he just thought of that on the spot or whether he's actually already considered Ruth as a potential marriage partner and he's checked how close he is to Ruth and whether he would be the next in line to marry her. Kind of like some people check how many spaces they are from the throne of the uh, King of England. Like, who, who needs to die for me to actually inherit the throne? And he may have already been checking up. Who needs to come before me to be able to marry Ruth. But here he shows a real willingness to help, and he even provides for Ruth immediately. He protects her virtue. We see in verse 14, verse 14, so she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized, and he said, don't let it be known that a woman came to the threshing floor. He wants to protect her virtue, that No one finds out that she was there with him in the middle of the night, which is a real caring attitude that he has towards Ruth even now. And then he gives her a great deposit of his willingness to provide for the rest of Ruth's life. He does that in verse 15. He also said, verse 15, "'Bring me the shawl you are wearing and hold it out. "'When she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley "'and put it on her. "'Then he went back to town.'" He gives her some barley to take home. And we see later he said to Ruth that he didn't want her to return to Naomi empty-handed. He makes a deposit, basically, saying, yes, I will marry you. He didn't have an engagement ring to give her on the spot, but he says, here's some food instead. And he measures out some barley for her, pretty much as much as she could carry. It's interesting that he puts it on her. Uh, She can't carry it. It has to go on her. It's so much that is given to her. So what happens next? Well, Naomi and Ruth then wait in confidence. She goes home, and we read in verse 16, when Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, how did it go, my daughter? Then she told her everything Boaz had done for her and added, he gave me these six measures of barley, saying, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said, wait, my dear, until you find out what happens, for that the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. There's still some uncertainty about what is going to happen, and in Ruth chapter 4 we find out what happens, but there's some uncertainty at this stage, and so they just have to trust that Boaz is going to do what he said he will do, and they just have to sit tight. And basically that word in uh, Hebrew that she says uh, to uh, in verse 18 to Ruth, Naomi says, wait. It actually just is the word for sit. Sit. Sit down. Don't do anything. And we'll see what happens. She just has to sit still. So things are improving for Ruth and Naomi in this chapter. We see that they've come a long way, that they started to get food once they returned to the land. The land was starting to prosper. And now there's an eligible bachelor in town who's kind of wealthy who's actually interested in Ruth and is going to investigate whether he is able to marry her. Now, this is all very well for Ruth, isn't it? But you may be saying, who's going to improve my life? Who is my Prince Charming? 
No Boaz has ever ridden into my life to help me out. With my problems, who can I turn to? Who is my Prince Charming? Who is my Boaz? How is this helpful for me? Many thousands of years on from the fact. Well, I can tell you that if you are a Christian, if you believe in Jesus, then you have had a Boaz ride into your life, and that is Jesus Christ. Yes, you may have never had a Prince Charming, or your prince or princess that you did marry has disappointed you. Maybe they've turned out to be more of a frog than a prince. Maybe they're okay, but they still disappoint you from time to time. They're still a sinful creature, and they will make mistakes. They are not the perfect Prince Charming that you thought they would be when you married them. But if you are a Christian, then you have a Prince Charming, and that is Jesus Christ. He is the perfect fulfilment of the loving relationship that we all desire, that person who will love us perfectly, that person who will provide for us as a husband should, a person who will put us under his wing. And if you are a Christian, then you have followed Ruth in going to Boaz, but in going to Christ. Christ has been your Boaz in a number of ways. Like Ruth, you have listened to a Naomi about Christ, and you have then sought him out. We all in this room have been told about Jesus by someone. We have had a Naomi in our life tell us, do you know the Saviour? Do you know who Jesus is? And then we have listened to that person and have prepared ourselves to present ourselves to him. We have washed ourselves and dressed well, prepared ourselves as well as we are able. How do we do that if you're a Christian? Well, you turn from your sins. You repent of your sins. You trust in Jesus Christ. And instead of being clothed in sin, in sins of, in clothes of unrighteousness, you are now clothed in clothes of righteousness of Jesus Christ. If you come to Jesus, you prepare yourself. You prepare yourself by repentance and faith. And like Ruth, you have come humbly to Christ's feet. You have come to Jesus Christ, to his feet, and bowed down to him, recognizing that he is far greater than you, and that in one sense you, do not, you are not even worthy to untie the sandals of his shoes. If you are a Christian, you have come to Christ's feet, as Ruth went to Boaz's feet. And then you've come to Christ as Ruth came to Boaz and asked for him to spread his wings over you and to be your kinsman redeemer, to be someone who is part of the human race. He's a brother in his humanity, but he is also our redeemer. And like Boaz was delighted when Ruth came to him, Jesus is delighted in us when we go to him. Jesus is delighted that you sought him out rather than other idols that are so attractive. Remember, Ruth could have sought out other attractive young men. She was working in the fields. There would have been some nice guys, some big, strong guys there in the field that may have taken their shirts off while they worked through the day, and she was quite impressed. And that's what we face in this world. As there's lots of different people around us, lots of different religions there. Some are very attractive. They tell you lovely things about yourself. They're very attractive. They promise all kinds of pleasures. 
whether it be the idol of the refrigerator with the food that it promises, whether it be another idol that is some sort of statue that a religion has taught, this will bless you, this will be a lucky charm to you. If you come and rub it each day, it will give you blessing. These things are attractive. There might be gold idols. And you think, oh, of course it will bless me. It's made of gold. When you reject those idols, Christ is delighted, just as Boaz was delighted when Ruth came and asked for his blessing, asked for him to be her kinsman redeemer rather than going to another more attractive young man. And like Boaz was willing to give a deposit of his goodness to Ruth, so Christ has given you a deposit of his goodness to you. What is the deposit that God has given us that is of immense value, that demonstrates that he will one day provide for you even more richly than you have today? What is the word deposit often associated with in the New Testament? It's the Holy Spirit. God has given you his Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1 verse 13 says, Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit. He's a deposit. What does the deposit guarantee? Guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. You have a deposit in your hearts now, the Holy Spirit, who guarantees that one day you will get a further inheritance from Jesus Christ. When he comes back, he will provide for you more richly than you're provided for even now. And so, like Naomi and Ruth, you sit and you wait for that redemption to come, the final redemption of your body. You are redeemed in one sense now, even spiritually, your soul is redeemed, but your body is not redeemed. Talking to someone earlier before the service about their body, and they were saying you just start to... Learn to put up with these things, Joel, as you get older. Clearly, their body is not redeemed. Their soul is redeemed, but their body is not redeemed. And what is their hope? That one day their body will be redeemed when Jesus Christ comes back with all his holy ones. And so what are we to do now? We are to sit, like Ruth was to sit, and wait. And be sure that Jesus Christ is doing what he needs to do to make sure that one day we will be redeemed. And so we rest. It's a marvellous truth of Christianity in comparison to other religions. There is no work for you to do to have Christ as your redeemer. You just sit and you allow him to do the work at the cross, that he wipes away your sins by his work, not your work, his work at the cross. He pays the penalty, just as Boaz is the one who fronts up and goes through the expense of having Ruth as his bride. So Christ is the one who does the work. You just sit. That is, if you're a Christian, you have a Prince Charming. It's so marvellous that there is a Boaz in your life, someone who has come to you and put you under his wing. But I want to remind you this morning to keep going to your Boaz. Keep going to Jesus Christ for provision. Don't stop at your salvation, but keep going to him day by day. So often we forget to go to Christ for further help. Yes, we ask him to save us from our sins and be Lord of our lives, but Christ is our kinsman redeemer. He is the one, the only kinsman redeemer we have. And we need to keep going to him. He is our first port of call. 
So often we forget to go to him. Whenever anything comes into our life, we forget to pray to him and ask for his help. Instead, we get busy instead of sitting first and asking Christ for help. I have a mug in our cupboard that I use for my coffee, and it was actually given to me by one of my children for Father's Day. They got it from the Father's Day stall at uh, the school, which is always a bit of a a quandary for me, working out what they're going to get for me, because I'm not your typical father. I'm not interested in sport at all. I'm not interested in cars at all. And most of the gifts that have to be, uh, that are on these uh, Father's Day stalls, tend to be things that are related to sport or to motor vehicles. And so I always tell my kids, remember, books or stationery. Books or stationery. One day, one of my children came home with, uh, from school, and I didn't get it till Father's Day. But I showed mum, and mum said, yes, that's an appropriate one. It's a mug, and it says on it, keep calm, call dad. Keep calm, call dad. If you've been to my house, you may have even drunk from that mug. Keep calm, call dad. It's a message, which is probably more for a father to give to a child, that when you're drinking each day, remember, keep calm, call dad. If there's a situation, keep calm, call dad. But it's a good reminder for me that I should be the one that my children want to call upon. That if they go into a difficult situation, that they keep calm, call Dad. He'll be able to come and help out. But before they call Dad, they should call someone else. A better slogan for that mug would be, keep calm, call Christ. Keep calm, call Christ. That would be a very good mug for every Christian to have. To be reminded as they drank their morning coffee, each morning, what do I need to do? Keep calm, call Christ. Because he is our kinsman redeemer and he can do far more for you each day than you can get from anybody else in this world with any problem that may be causing you distress. We love to prop our lives up with our own strength, with the strength of those around us, rather than going to Christ. And we forget that Christ is delighted every time we go to him. And it actually distresses him when you've got a severe health problem and the first person you go to is your GP instead of Christ. You're going to a more attractive young man instead of going to Christ, who is your kinsman redeemer. Remember that he loves you going to him first. Don't seek other, more attractive young men. Don't seek out those who are more attractive, who look like they're more able to help. Seek out Christ. And keep waiting with confidence. Trust that Jesus is working for your blessing, even when things don't seem to be going well, even when it seems that Christ is not acting as your kinsman redeemer. Keep waiting like Ruth waited there. It must have been a bit of turmoil for her that morning waiting to find out whether some other guy is now going to be her husband or whether Boaz is going to be instead. And that's a sense that we have today as well. We have not been redeemed in the fullest sense. We're still waiting. But we need to wait with a quiet confidence and a joy. It's amazing. The longer you wait for something that you know will be a joy, the more pleasure you get out of the anticipation of it in one sense. I'm about to go on annual leave, and this leave, uh, we're actually a family, we're going on a cruise together, and we booked it over 18 months ago, and that's a long time for us to wait for something, 
But we've been joyfully expecting it. And it's getting stronger and stronger over that period. Whereas if we booked it two weeks ago, we wouldn't have had that same joyful anticipation. So actually, in one sense, a long life on this earth is really a gift from the Lord for a more joyful anticipation of the things that are to come. You've been able to bask in Christ's goodness over those years and consider further of what heaven will be and joyfully anticipate that day where you will be called home to your kinsman, Redeemer. Joyfully anticipate that day. And remember that it's really your Prince Charming that is why you love a book like the Book of Ruth so much. We've looked at Ruth in different ways as we've been going through, and we've still got one chapter to go when I come back from leave, Lord willing. The boat doesn't capsize in the ocean. I'll come back and do Ruth 4. But why do we love the book of Ruth? I've actually had some feedback from people about this book. This is the first time I've preached through it here. They say, I love the book of Ruth. Why do we love the book of Ruth so much? Why do we love love stories so much? Why do we like the idea of getting married one day to a prince charming or a princess? Why do we love those love stories that are out there? It's because they're all mini pictures of the greatest love story of all of Jesus Christ coming for his bride, coming from heaven and seeking us out. All the love stories in the world are really mini pictures of that greatest of all love stories. And so as a Christian, keep delighting yourself with the memories that you have of your kinsman redeemer's love in the past and keep delighting yourself with thoughts of your kinsman redeemer's love in the future. And if you're not a believer, if you're not a Christian and you're here this morning, I firmly believe that there is a part of you that wants to be loved in the way that only Christ can love. That you have a desire for someone to spread his wing over you, now and for eternity. God has created you in the image of God, and you yearn and desire that. You may at times suppress it and push it away and say, no, 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 I don't want that. But there is a part of you that yearns to be taken under a wing, and loved. And I encourage you, don't resist that desire any longer. Come to Christ. Wash yourself in repentance and faith and begin to enjoy the greatest love story that has ever been known to man of Christ with his bride, the church. And even teenagers and children who are here today, I mentioned to you in the kids' talk this morning that you may even be thinking now that one day you'd like to get married to someone and enjoy their love. I encourage you, get married to Christ first. And then the marriage that you may one day enjoy will be the, all the more enjoyable because you will have someone who loves you far better than any person in this world can. And when they disappoint you, when they turn out to be not so much of a prince or a princess, Christ will be there and he will continue to love you both now and for eternity. Let's come before our God in prayer. Let's speak with him. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have sent Christ into our lives. Lord, we thank you that you have given us a desire to come to him, to wash ourselves in repentance and faith, to put on the clothes that he offers, the robes of righteousness. And Lord, we thank you that he has redeemed us. 
and that one day we will be redeemed completely, that our bodies will be redeemed and we will go to be with him in eternity. Lord, we pray that we would be people who continue to go to Christ, that we would love to go to him first and foremost, that we would always keep calm and call Christ in whatever difficult situation comes our way. And we pray for any unbelievers that are here this morning. Oh, Lord, we pray that they would want the love of Christ in their life. We pray that they would commit themselves to you. May they not delay. May they do it this morning and enjoy having a Boaz in their lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.